I want to talk uh, today, <clears throat> I want to pick up on some stuff that I talked about starting last week. And uh, I'm just fascinated right now with this whole concept of consciousness and the mind and the law of attraction and how we can uh, tap into the power of the mind, the power of thought, the power of consciousness to bring about change in the world and maybe more importantly to bring about change in our lives. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, it's great some of the stuff that's coming out right now. Um where there are scientists, people who understand better than me anyway, quantum theory and quantum physics, and they are saying some of these same things scientifically. It's not my background. My background is in psychology and theology, and that includes the Bible. So I use the Bible, um, but I'm definitely not, uh, if you've been around any time at all, watch my channel, um, you know, I'm definitely not one of those Bible people. So in the Gospel of John, John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the, the, the word. That's how it gets translated into English. In the Greek, it's the word logos. In the beginning was the logos. And I think we can say safely that what that word is talking about is consciousness or it's talking about mind, the, the mind of God or the mind of the universe or the consciousness out of which everything came because it says, um, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos made everything. And then says, this is an important part, he says, and without him or without mind or without consciousness was not anything made that has been made. So everything finds its cause. This is the key. Everything finds its cause. Everything finds its point of origin in consciousness. And there is nothing that exists Anywhere in the universe, multiverse, whatever your feelings and thoughts are in that, in the physical dimension, in the metaphysical dimensions, the unseen realms, there's nothing that exists that exists apart from consciousness or did not have its cause and its origin in consciousness. So everything that exists is the effect of something in the mind, the the effect of something in consciousness. Now, that tells us something very important, because particularly as Westerners, particularly as in, in what we might call secular society, in the way that we generally as a society, at least in the West, think about and look at things, um, we tend to see the causes as being outside of us and the effect uh, life is happening to us in in a sense. And so the cause of being sick is something outside of us. It's a virus. It's a germ. It's a uh being affected by the way we eat or um, poisons in the atmosphere or something that maybe cause cancer. You think about asbestos and things like that. And so, you know, we look, we, we tend to look for all the causes as being outside of us and then the effects. It can even come down to your emotions to where you, if you have a, if you have a good day and the good day is going on out here in your life, uh, you know, I don't know, you, you bought a new car, you got a raise at work or it's just a generally good day, then you feel good. So the cause of your good feeling is outside of you. On the other hand, if you're having a bad day, you get some disappointing news. The weather isn't quite what you want it to be. Your plans get canceled. Uh, you lose your job, whatever. Well, now we feel terrible. We feel miserable. So again, the cause is something that's going on outside of us. The effect is how we're feeling emotionally. This translates into relationships. We can think that the other person uh, that we're with is the cause of the peace and the love and the joy that we feel <clears throat> inside ourselves. Or we can think the other person is the cause of angst and anguish and 
frustration and whatever. But you can see the point that I'm driving home in almost every aspect of our lives. We tend to think about causes as being other than uh, or outside of us. And then the general sense or feeling is that we're relatively helpless. We're relatively um, incapable of managing all of these various different causes and effects. But certainly, for sure, uh, there's a general thinking, a general sense that what we think and feel and believe does not have any direct impact on our bodies, does not have any direct impact, certainly, on circumstances or synchronicities that we can set up in our lives. And yet, science uh, absolutely acknowledges the power of the mind to heal the body, which is why whenever, you know, we're testing, you're testing any modality, whether it's pharmaceutical company testing a vaccine or testing a new uh, thing that's coming out. I don't know if I can even say the V word on here and not, not, not get caught or edited or something, mess up my algorithms. But uh, it has to be run through a, a group of studies. There has to be a control group that doesn't get any medicine. There has to be a group that gets the actual medicine or treatment. It doesn't have to be medicine. I went into that in my last video. Um, and then you have to have a placebo group. A placebo group is a group that thinks they're getting the medicine, but they aren't getting the medicine because science recognizes that just the belief that you're going to get better can cause you to get better. <laughs> and it's called the placebo effect. So even though we generally deny that consciousness can affect reality or that consciousness can affect health, even though we generally deny that, uh, even science uh, makes provision for that in the way that they do research and the way they do their studies. So again, back to John's gospel in the beginning, in the, in the place of origin was consciousness and consciousness created everything. And with, and nothing has been made that was not made by consciousness. That means that the ultimate cause of every effect is in the mind, because I believe that all consciousness is connected. In other words, in the beginning was that consciousness, and then that consciousness manifests or emanates everything that is, including you and me, including our conscious mind, which we're going to talk about, and our subconscious mind, which we're going to talk about, and even the superconscious mind. The superconscious mind, is you could call it the transpersonal mind. It's the mind or the consciousness or it's other uh, forms of consciousness that transcend or go beyond, excuse me, uh, Per personal psychology. So it goes beyond just our conscious mind and our subconscious mind. So the other thing that John says that's so interesting is he says is that in this word, there was light and life. So those three things, uh, consciousness or mind, light or energy, and life, the life principle, all of these things were where everything originated from in many spiritual traditions. In fact, most spiritual traditions tell us that in various different ways. And John is certainly saying that in John's gospel, <coughs> chapter one. So I want you to get this firmly embedded in your thinking that you are connected to the cause of all things. You and I are connected. We originate we from the uh, the cause and the source of all things. And our minds, our, our ability to have consciousness is an aspect of that original consciousness. And so, therefore, when we learn how to work with our consciousness correctly, we can produce change in our lives. We can produce change in our bodies. We can produce change 
in our set of circumstances that we have, and we can produce change for other people as well. So ideas, thoughts, these things are important. And one of the biggest shifts that we have to make is we have to challenge the fundamental belief that all causes are outside of us and that we are the effect. We have to challenge that fundamental belief, and we have to begin to uh, at least be open to the concept that perhaps it's the other way around. Perhaps there are causes within us, causes within our mind, causes within our consciousness that create the effects outside of us or change in the world around us. This is the whole basis for what people call the law of attraction. This is the whole basis for what people call faith in the Bible. Um, doesn't matter what terms you use to describe it. It's all talking about that same fundamental principle and that same uh, fundamental truth that's laid out for us in in John chapter one. So let's talk about three aspects of consciousness. Let's talk about the conscious mind, which is some people call it the voluntary mind. Some people call it uh, the will, the analytical mind, uh, the thinking mind, the logical mind. It's really what it says. It's what you're conscious of. It's what you're aware of uh, in your life uh, that's going on. Then you have the subconscious mind, and the subconscious mind is that deeper mind that is everything that's contained within you that you're not aware of in the present moment. So the subconscious mind then uh, makes up our memories. It makes up our emotions. It makes up uh, the aspects of ourselves that go on automatic pilot. It's the automatic mind. So it's the ability to learn tasks and incorporate them and not have to think about them, not have to make conscious choice about them anymore. And the subconscious mind is also, most people seem to agree, um, really um, a controlling factor. It's It's the automatic pilot. It's the automatic responses that we have. To certain things in our life, we have automatic responses to even stuff like food, right? We have food that we like, food that we don't like. We make a conscious choice using the conscious mind what food we're going to eat. But kind of as a general rule, appetite is an aspect of consciousness, not just a function of the body. If it was just about feeding ourselves and keeping the body alive, then we wouldn't have food preferences. Food preferences or appetite, those are things generally that are automatic responses in the subconscious Mind, And so working with the appetite, working with eating disorders and things like that involves working with the mind, not just with the body. So you have the conscious mind, the automatic, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the voluntary mind, the, the mind that you make uh, choices with, the logical mind, and then you have the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind is connected to the larger field of consciousness is interwoven or interpenetrated by this broader, what we'll call super consciousness, which is everything else, or to use the language that we're using today, it is the logos. So if you think about it this way, you're originating out from emanating out from using human being, your thoughts, the thoughts that you're thinking are emanating out of the super consciousness, emanating out of the logos, giving you being, operating then in the subconscious and then ultimately the thoughts that pop into your head from the subconscious then becomes part of your conscious experience. One of the ways the subconscious and the conscious mind works is for a lot of people, there's just a a constant flow of thought, a constant flow of chatter inside the brain. And oftentimes that flow of thought or flow of chatter 
inside your mind when you get quiet and you listen to how you're talking to yourself, oftentimes uh, it's it's not pleasant. Um, very often there's negative self-talk. Very often there's condemnation, self-condemnation, self-hatred, all this kind of stuff existing, um, w- coinciding actually with desires, with feelings, with uh, things that you want, things that you enjoy. You know, all this stuff is going on and just kind of popping up or floating up or bubbling up into the mind. Those are aspects of the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind can go very, very deeply if you start exploring it. And um, and then that just kind of melds into what we call the superconscious mind. So you are your mind, your ability to work with consciousness. You are that cause. You You are that cause. Your mind, your thoughts, your consciousness is flowing out of the origin and the cause of all things, out of which everything has been made and nothing has been made without it, right? And also then there's energy that goes with that. So we can say everything is mind, everything is energy, um, and your emotions are energetic uh, I mean, you're an energetic being, your body, your brain, your heart, you're giving off electrical, uh, detectable <clears throat> electromagnetic energy and electrical energy that's detectable in your body. So your body is an energetic system. So your thoughts are real things. They have real energy. Your emotions, you can think about your emotions as energy in motion. <laughs> now, if you think about it in terms of electricity, Negative emotions need to be grounded in the sense that they need to uh, expel their charge from your system. If you don't process those emotions, if those emotions get stuck in you, then it literally is like an electrical charge that is looking for um, there's an electrical charge that's going on inside you. And you can store up that electrical charge and it just keeps recycling or it gets stuck. and so. A lot of good therapy or a lot of uh, things that help us change is finding what's stuck in the subconscious that needs to release its charge and then being able to find a way. And there's various different ways to do that. It depends on the person. Uh, but being able to find a way to ground that charge or release that charge and get that energy out of your system so that you have to treat mind and emotions not just from a consciousness standpoint, not just from a standpoint of beliefs or internal representations, but you also have to treat them from an energetic standpoint and let those energies release their charges. I hope this is making sense to you. So what happens is that we can be storing all kinds of negativity from our mind and our emotions, and oftentimes that stuff gets forced into or stored within the body. I talked about this last week from the perspective of ancient Chinese medicine. Various different different organs become the storehouses for the recycling of this energy. So, for example, the liver, they believe, holds anger and bitterness and resentment, that that energy is actually stored in the liver. Or they believe that fear is actually stored in the kidneys. And then when they go to treat someone, they're treating them holistically, looking at the emotions as well as the physical stuff that's going on. So what I want to suggest to you, what I'm going to propose to you in this video, number one, is that if you need to make changes in your life, that you shift your paradigm. 
because when we think about changing our life, more often than not, we think about working on the causes outside of us, changing the causes outside of us so that our life comes up better and we're the better effect. I want to suggest to you that you start thinking about changing your consciousness, that you start thinking about working on your consciousness. Um, think about it this way. Your body is the house in which your in which you, the you that you know yourself to be, lives, right? So what kind of a house do you want to live in? What kind of environment do you want to live in? In other words, I'm not suggesting that you just take care of the outward body, the the, the, the body itself, um, which would be like painting your house or putting a new layer of stucco or something on your house. And it looks good on the outside, and you're, you're trimming the yard, and the yard looks great outside, but you come inside, and it's a complete disaster. It smells bad, trash everywhere. Uh, there's stuff in there from 1993 that's still rotting. There's uh, <laughs> The doors aren't working. Uh, the lights aren't working. Stuff's falling apart. You have one or two nice rooms that you try to live in, but then you have the rest of this. So what I'm suggesting is that the interior of the place that you live, the interior of the place that you inhabit is the, the, the consciousness. What's going on in your mind? Are you feeling good? Are you thinking good and healthy and wholesome and positive thoughts? If you're constantly ruminating on stuff that's negative, if you're constantly angry about stuff that you can't control, if you're constantly anxious and worrying, then the environment in which you live is, uh, probably not very pleasant or enjoyable or helpful for you, and in some cases may even be toxic for you. And so what I'm suggesting is that we back up, and instead of working on everything out here, our relationships, our job, our money, um, the, the politics of everything and all that stuff, trying to get, I mean, it's, it's funny if you think about it, uh, because we are so much at effect in our own thinking. Uh, people get all riled up and worked up about stuff they really, really, really can't control, uh, like on the political arena or political agenda, and we get mad at the other side because we think if the other side would just do right, then the all the causes out here would change and my effects would become better, and so we give all our energy to this stuff. What I'm suggesting is that you take some of that back, you take some of that energy back, you take your power back, you put the locus of control back within yourself, back within your mind, back within consciousness, and then you spend some deliberate time, just like you would spend time uh, cleaning your house, just like you would spend time doing yard work, that you set aside time to work on the real habitation, <laughs> work on the real you, work on, on what's going on inside your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. And so... A lot of that negativity and stuff needs to be cleaned out. That clutter needs to be cleaned out. Trauma needs to be cleaned out. Those those charges, those emotional charges from unhealed traumas and unhealed wounds inside of us needs to be released and needs to be cleaned out. For a lot of people, you might, uh, you might want to get someone, if you, especially if you've had a lot of trauma or you've got a lot of uh, worry and anxiety, you find a lot of stuff in there that's not pleasant, it's okay to hire a professional. <laughs> Uh, to help you along the way, to help you along your journey. And I'd encourage you to do that. And um, so that's my my medical disclaimer. This is not, not a substitute for mental health treatment, anything like that. I probably should say that at the beginning. <laughs> uh, but so let's let's talk about this. Now, I want to tie this in 
to this is where we're it's going to seem like I'm changing. <laughs> so this is my blinker light to let you know I'm I'm changing subjects, but you'll see how these things go together. I've just been laying a foundation for this. But I want to talk to you today about the story of Lilith, the story of Lilith. Now, Lilith is a uh, subject or a topic in Jewish lore. It's found in other parts of ancient Mesopotamia and Sumer and things like that as well. The same basic tale or the same basic story. But but again, because my background is in the Bible and Western religion, I want to look at the story or the mythos of Lilith. Now, some of you may have never heard of Lilith. Lilith, Lilith is mentioned one time in the Bible, Isaiah 34, I think, verse 14, and it's translated as a screech owl, and uh, it has really nothing uh, significant to say about Lilith. But there is a story in Jewish lore about Lilith, and Lilith is Adam's first wife. So one of the problems that Bible scholars or people that studied the Bible have had since it was put together is you have two creation stories, essentially, in the Bible, back to back, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says that God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we see that Adam's created, the animals are created. Adam's out looking at all the animals, trying to find a helper suitable for him. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And so God uh puts Adam to sleep, takes his rib, builds a woman and gives him Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, uh so as Jewish people were wrestling with this and they were trying to figure out how to reconcile these two uh accounts in the creation of man, they uh inserted or posited the idea or who knows where it came from. Certainly, this is not something that I'm an expert on. I haven't written a dissertation on Lilith. So, you know, I'll let scholars figure that out. But the story goes like this, that God created Adam and gave Adam a first wife, and his first wife's name was Lilith. And that God created, this is really important, that God created Lilith from the same clay that he had created Adam. And so then what happened to Lilith? Uh, so let me read you the story. This is just on Wikipedia. You can look this up, but here's, here's the story. It says, after God created Adam, who was alone, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. He then created a woman for Adam from the earth as he had created Adam himself and called her Lilith. Adam and Lilith immediately began to fight. She said, I will not lie below. It's kind of racy. And he said, I will not lie beneath you, but only on top, for you are fit only to be the bottom, in the bottom position, while I am in to be in the superior one. Lilith responded, we are equal to each other in as much as we were both created from the earth. Mm. But they would not listen to one another. When Lilith saw this, she pronounced the ineffable name, the name of God, and flew away into the air. Adam stood in prayer before his creator, sovereign of the universe, he said, the woman you gave me has run away. At once the Holy One, blessed be he, sent these three angels, now I'm going to try to pronounce her names, to bring her back. Said the Holy One to Adam, if she agrees to come back, what is made is good. If not, she must permit 100 of her children to die every day. 
The angels left God and pursued Lilith, whom they overtook in the midst of the sea, in the mighty waters wherein the Egyptians were destined to drown. It's important. I'm going to come back to that part about the sea. They told her God's word, but she did not wish to return. The angel said, we shall drown you in the sea. Leave me, she said. I was created only to cause sickness to infants. If the infant is male, I have dominion over him for eight days after his birth and a female for 20 days. And when the angels heard Lilith's words, they insisted she go back. But she swore to them by the name of the living and eternal God. Whenever I see you or your names or your forms in an amulet, I will have no power over the infant. She also agreed to have 100 of her children die every day. Accordingly, every day, 100 demons perish, and for the same reason, we write the angels' names on the amulets of young children. When Lilith sees their names, she remembers her oath, and the child recovers. So that's the story as it's told in Wikipedia. Now, there's a number of elements in here. Lilith wants to be equal with Adam. They begin to fight immediately. And Adam says, you have to be inferior to me. You have to be beneath me. You have to be on the bottom. Uh, see, all their, all arguments start from sex. <laughs> Even in the beginning, it was that way. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you, you have to be beneath me. You have to be, you're inferior to me. And she says, no, I'm equal to you. And then she uses the ineffable name of God and she flies away. Now, then the story gets a little twisted. You know, it's funny. There are people that take this seriously. Like, there's people that that think that these stories are true. And it's just amazing to me how I know some of them. It's just amazing to me how otherwise very intelligent, rational people, logical people can look at these stories and take them literally and take them seriously. Uh, it just goes to show you the power of the subconscious mind. But obviously, this is a myth. But here's the thing about myths. Myths often tell us stories about ourselves. Stories in and of themselves are, especially fiction, are projections of our own consciousness. They're projections or they're models of what's going on inside of us. And so if we're insightful, we can look at these stories or we can look at any myth and we can begin to discern some of the inner workings of the psyche by looking at the outward projection of those inner workings. And that's how I want to bring these things together. That's how I want to bring together the creation story of Adam and Lilith and then later Adam and Eve and then how the tale uh, went about Lilith being a night demon and Lilith being the one who was responsible for killing children and I want to look at this as a myth that invites us to see the workings of our own consciousness so that we can understand on some level why we self-sabotage and why sometimes the law of attraction doesn't work for us because of things that are going on in our own psyche that we can see in these stories. So first off, uh, what, what we need to understand is that there is a level of equality here in the story because they're made from the same earth they're made the same way she wasn't taken from a rib like eve she didn't come out from adam like eve she was created her own entity from the earth like adam and so there's so much we could say here about lilith as an archetype for equality for everyone on earth 
and how oftentimes those voices for equality for everyone on earth become exiled in our societies. They become things that we demonize. They become things or people that are marginalized that we don't want to hear from, that we don't want to listen to, that you're just destroying, you're destroying, you're killing the babies. You're destroying the future for us. So that's Lilith on a macro scale. Lilith on a micro scale. Now, before we do this, let, let's understand something about the way the masculine and the way the feminine in the Bible stories may relate to the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. So, um, <clears throat> lots of Bible teachers, I don't, I don't want to belabor this point. I'll do a teaching on it at some other point. Uh, but the, the mystical look at Genesis chapter Two. <laughs> trying to think of it as Genesis chapter two or Genesis chapter three, but the mystical look at Genesis chapter two is that Adam represents the uh, conscious mind, uh, and in that sense, the authoritative mind, because the conscious mind is the executive mind. It makes the decisions about direction and things like that. The wife or the feminine part is the subconscious mind. And that is then the part that takes direction. It's that part that is, that is subservient. It's not a literal thing. It's not meant to be played out in relationships. Uh, although it does happen every day, all over the world, everywhere with humanity. But that's not what is being taught here. That's not what I'm teaching, not what I'm saying. What I, I'm not saying this has anything to do with male-female relationships. I'm saying that we can use the masculine and feminine as a picture of what goes on inside of us. So the two shall become one flesh, according to the scriptures, Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. And so there's supposed to be a joining and a flowing and a relationship and an interaction and a oneness between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. That's what real wholeness looks like. And when you can align the Gospel of Thomas, in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus said this, if you make the two one, you can say to the mountain, be removed, and it'll be removed for you. If you make the two one in your body, if you make the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, come together as one flesh so that there's alignment and congruence between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, then you can give birth to something. You can produce something. So this process of changing things, this process of working with consciousness to change things or of the law of attraction has to honor and take into account the masculine principle and the feminine principle and the oneness, if you will, between the conscious mind and the subconscious. And that's where the work needs to be done. That's where the joining and the aligning needs to be done. Because remember, your mind is connected to the source of all things. And the super consciousness that we were talking about flows into your conscious mind so that you can make executive decisions and change your life through the gateway of the subconscious mind. By the same token, the subconscious mind is receiving the seed. It's receiving the thoughts and the ideas and the suggestions of the conscious mind into its womb, so to speak. You can think about your subconscious as the matrix of your life, the matrix of all being. Its job is to receive uh, uncritically, amorally, not judging whether it's good or bad, not judging whether it's right or wrong, not judging whether it's true or false, uh, but receiving those suggestions indiscriminately put there by the conscious mind 
into the subconscious mind. And as the subconscious mind takes that on, then the idea is that it incubates. An idea for the future has to incubate in the subconscious mind. But eventually, uh, if nothing aborts the baby, if nothing kills the baby in the womb, so to speak, I'm speaking metaphorically here, if nothing uh, kills the baby once it comes out and starts to manifest, if you can keep that alignment, keep it protect, protected and nothing destroys it, then you can create the change you want to see in your life. The problem is there are some lilas around. Uh, there are some lilas in our life or lilith in our life who can come and kill our babies. Again, metaphorically speaking, what I'm meaning by that is can come and consume our future, destroy our future, abort our future. And if we're not aware of Lilith and what she represents, and we don't learn how to work with with Lilith, getting tongue-tied over that, <clears throat> and what she represents, then oftentimes what we have conceived in the mind as an idea for ourselves, what we have conceived inwardly as a new future, ends up being miscarried or aborted or killed in its infancy. So this is where Lilith comes in. So Lilith also represents a feminine principle. So Lilith represents an aspect of our being that carries those feminine principles that I'm talking about. And I'm speaking almost, again, I feel like in the culture we live today and being on social media, I have to explain everything. Um, but when I'm talking about masculine and feminine energies, I'm not talking about it in the socially constructed way that has anything to do with gender or gender discussions today. I'm talking about it from the principle of reproduction. I'm talking about the masculine energy as that which initiates change by penetrating an environment with something new. And the feminine environment, the feminine principle is that which is able to receive <laughs> That which the masculine has implanted, incubate it and bring it forth. You could also use uh, the parable of the sower. If you're familiar with the Bible in Mark chapter four, the parable of the sower is the same thing. The sower is the conscious mind. The seed is an idea or a thought. It's the logos. It's the cause. It's the ability to produce change. And the ground is the heart. So the ground is the subconscious mind that this, that the conscious mind plants the idea, the concept, the what it, what it wants to grow and cultivate into the soil of the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind then receives it <clears throat> and if it's good ground it says <clears throat> the earth brings forth the fruit of itself the earth you you bring forth the change yourself that's actually <clears throat> in scriptures looking at it in this way are we doing okay everybody got this let's see um, <clears throat> I can't see my comments. So, so what is, what does Lilith represent then? Lilith represents the parts of our consciousness that we fight with. Uh, or she can, she represents a lot more, but one of the things Lilith represents is the parts of our consciousness that our conscious mind fights with, that our conscious mind wants to suppress, that our conscious mind 
wants to have dominion over. That our conscious mind doesn't want to give voice to. That our conscious mind doesn't want to remember. That our conscious mind doesn't want to deal with. So this can be any internal struggle. This is where you could really get into the Freudian stuff about um, coping mechanisms and repression and suppression and stuff like that. But I'm not talking about this from a Freudian perspective. I'm talking about this from looking at the story of Lilith, relating it to what goes on in our consciousness and seeing where we get with the story. So <clears throat> this can be traumatic memories. Sometimes people will block out traumatic memories. Um, or they'll have the traumatic memory. They will remember the trauma. They didn't block it out, but they're still traumatized whenever they think about that. In other words, it still carries that emotional charge. That emotion, emotional charge hasn't been released or grounded. Lilith can also represent the, the softer side of us. It can represent the, uh, what we feel is the weaker side of us. The parts of us, honestly, frankly, that we judge, which is why Lilith is under judgment. See, all this stuff is inside of us. All this stuff is in us and a story about us. And so Lilith wants equality. Lilith wants her voice to be heard. And so what she does is she says the ineffable name of God. Here's the other point. She wants to be included. Now, this is really important for those of you that come from a Christian background, those of you that may be listening to some spiritual teachings that uh, talk about higher and lower natures and things like that is that Lilith wants to be incorporated into the divine nature because in Jewish teachings, to utter the divine name, to use the divine name, was to invoke a magical practice that gave you the power of the God itself. To use the name of the God was to access the power and nature of that God. So Lilith is here wanting not only equality, wanting to be heard, but also wanting to be incorporated into the divine nature. Now, forever, it seems, humanity is not about incorporating certain parts of ourselves. There are certain behaviors, certain thoughts and feelings, certain aspects of humanity that religion has taught us and told us is completely under divine judgment uh, and only produces death. And what we need to do is get away from that part. Don't bring that part back to us. See, in the story, Lilith could only come back to Adam if she was willing to submit to that order. If she was willing to say, I am less than the divine and I am less than you, then she could come back. If she came back, you see it in the story. If she came back, she is good. If she does not come back, she is evil. And there will be death to a 100 of her children every day. So she represents then that principle of what we used to call in Christianity, the law of sin and death, or the flesh, or for some people it might be the ego, or for some people it might be the lower nature versus the higher nature. It's the parts of ourselves that we want eradicated, not integrated. It's the parts of ourselves we don't want to hear from and we want to keep under judgment, not parts that we want to be reunited unless unless they become good. So if you think about this, it could be anything. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. It could be jealousy. It could be sexual desires. It could be um, traumas that you experienced. It could be feelings of weakness and vulnerability. 
to people and, and, and putting that out there it could be unpleasant emotions, anger, all that stuff, right? We are told to reject from our lives. We're told to push out of our consciousness because they're not good. They're only going to produce death. They're only going to make infants and children sick, right? So unless that part repents and becomes like the rest of us, unless the lower nature changes to become exactly like the higher nature, uh, it cannot come back. And those parts of us are very resistant to change. Have you ever noticed that? The more you try to struggle and get rid of that thing, that that thing that in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we, we used to call the sin that so easily besnares. Uh, the, the hell is that? <laughs> the sin that so easily ensnares us, right? Uh, we, we, we just, we want, we want to be away from those things. But those parts don't go away. They keep haunting us. That's why she's a night demon. She's a night demon. So it's the parts of us that we judge. It's the parts of us that we deem as evil. It's the parts of us that we don't like that haunt us in the darkness. It's when we're trying to work the law of attraction or we're trying to work these principles and something just comes up and defeats it. Negative thinking. Oh, I'm going to be positive today. I'm going to think about abundance. I'm going to think about prosperity. I'm going to think about health. I'm going to think about love. And you're, you start your day off with your 10 minute meditation. You get in your car, you're driving to work and somebody cuts you off and they didn't even use their blinker. You almost got in an accident. You're blaring on the horn. You're cursing at them. And there goes your intention for the day, uh, that you were going to live in total love and peace and joy. Just gets totally messed up right there just because somebody cut you off. Or then you get to work and you got to see, deal with your, uh, ugly coworker. Or maybe you're in some kind of customer service business and you got to deal with the public. Uh, <laughs> I remember I had a friend that worked in the service industry and he, every time he'd go to work, he'd say, it's time to go. <laughs> he actually, he, he, he worked as a tax collector, frankly, in the, in the county, uh, office. And so he would say, it's time to go face the angry horde today. Um, so those, so what I'm saying is that Lilith hangs around. Lilith hangs around and hovers over our, <laughs> hovers over our children. She's in, she's in the night. Interestingly, if you remember, the angels went to go and get her and talk to her in the sea. The sea is also something that represents or can represent metaphorically and mythologically for us, can represent consciousness, specifically the superconscious. And so in the, in the sea of your consciousness, there's a Lilith who is, uh, scorned, who is that woman scorned. You've scorned her. There are parts of us that we have scorned. There are parts of us that we have judged. There are parts of us that we have cut off from ourselves and said, you have to change. You can't be here. You have to die, et cetera, et cetera, right? Now, what I would suggest, what I would suggest as a powerful pathway of transformation is to use this archetype and this energy of Lilith and restore her. Bring her back. Reconcile with her. Give, listen to her. Give her the equality that she wants. And then integrate her into the divine nature. Lilith didn't change to say the name of God. Lilith said the name of God. And ascended or flew away, right? So 
Yeah. So what I'm saying is that you make friends with those parts, that you listen to those parts, that you give voice to those parts. Now, again, disclaimer here, if you've had a lot of trauma, you might want to find a professional, even if you haven't had a lot of trauma. It's a good thing to find a professional that can help you uh, work through those things. And I'm not saying this because I'm a counselor and I'm looking for business because I've got a full plate of clients and a waiting list. So I'm not trying to make myself busier. I'm just saying that this can be a difficult and scary journey. And oftentimes it's good to have a good trauma-informed therapist that comes along inside of us and can help us. And so allowing yourself. So how do I do this? Allowing myself to feel those emotions and own them in the sense that I went through this. This sucked. I'm feeling this. And then forgiveness. Forgiveness is just letting the charge ground. Forgiveness really, in the truest sense, has nothing to do with the other person. And it's completely something different than reconciliation. Forgiveness is simply releasing the emotional charge that you have on it. And you have to feel that emotional charge. And you have to allow yourself to release that emotional charge. You have to be honest with it. Be honest about your desires. Be honest about the parts that are arguing with you. If you've got an argument going on inside of you, the part that you most want to repress, the part that you most want to push down, is the part that most needs to be heard. It's the part that most needs to be felt. And then once it's felt, once the charge is released, then it can be integrated. Now, this produces real transformation because you cut off a part of yourself and you cut off a feminine aspect of yourself. Uh, so what I mean by this is that part that's supposed to produce for you, the part that's supposed to work for you, the part that's supposed to be your partner, um, you're, you're cut off from that. So you're cut off from a lot of energy. You're cut off from a lot of power. But also, more than likely, what happened was that you succumbed to some societal expectation, some familial, some family expectation, or just some religious expectation or something within your own life, that there was a part of you that wanted to find expression. And somewhere along the way, you said, no, it's not okay for that part to find expression. Now, there are no unhealthy desires per se, but there are very unhealthy ways of getting those desires met. So I don't want anybody to take this video and use it for justification to perpetrate harm on someone else because you have destructive desires to do harm to somebody else. I'm not saying that, okay, it's okay to do harm to other people, just let those, those parts come in. What I'm saying is, is it's because of the harm that you're doing to yourself and the division and strife inside of you, more than likely, that you want to do harm or are in strife with someone out there. And if you can resolve this, then this begins to get better because, why? The cause is within us, right? But uh, let's just say that you had a desire for wealth. You had a desire for business. You had a des- desire for uh to freedom, to work for yourself, uh, to not have to punch a clock or whatever. But you grew up in a family that all they'd ever known was being wage earners. It looked around the family. There was nobody that was a, um, had done anything like that in your family. Maybe nobody had gone to college. Um, I'm trying to think of the Disney movie, um, about the day of the dead, uh, 
Yeah, maybe that's what it's called. I can't remember, but there was a Disney movie where the, the, the guy was a shoemaker and I think he wanted to be a musician. And they're like, no, we've always been cobblers. Nobody's been a, uh, musician. So there's that part of you that wants to be expressed and that part of you then gets cut off because it doesn't fit. So you're going to have this argument. You're going to have this desire. You're going to have this thing. Um, so you're going to have this complaint within yourself when you go to work and you punch a clock. You're going to have this complaint within yourself. You're going to think about wanting more money, and perhaps you were taught that that was materialism or greed. And so you're going to say, oh, that's just the greedy side of me wanting this. Um, and so by listening to that part, by finding out what that part needs, and by incorporating that part into your life, the change that possibly could take place is you begin to think about how you could start a business. You begin to think about how you could. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, Daryl says Coco. Thanks, Daryl. I can see my comments now. It's crazy. Okay. Um, I'll go over those in a minute, um, the comments. But you see what I'm saying? So now that's that's that power coming back to you and incorporating change. Could be that you had a terrible traumatic event that happened to you in your life or a series of traumatic events that happened to you in your life that you don't want to think about and you don't want to deal with, but yet uh, they need to be heard. And so you're struggling to keep those things suppressed and repressed. And then what happens is that those uh, Lilis in our life end up creating self-sabotage for us. Um, you know, for the longest time, I, I just, I, I don't like being in the public scene or the public eye. And so for a couple of years, you know, I've just stayed out of it, but there's been a Lilith inside of me that's saying, you've got to do this. Well, part of the reason I don't want to be in the public eye is because of the trauma of public ministry that I went through. So I had to work through a lot of that stuff. I had to work through a ton of rejection. I had to work through some childhood memories and some things like that. I had to feel it in order to heal it. I had to uh, resolve those things. So maybe, hopefully, I can be a voice that provides help and assistance for people. And that requires that I put myself out there publicly. And if I'm not doing that because of unresolved traumas, I'm self-sabotaging and I'm cutting myself off from a potential future. So I hope that helps. I hope that makes some sense. Uh, I'm going to go back in and see if I can look at some of these comments. Um, Yeah, feel, uh, somebody on here, um, keeps kind of changing and jumping around. I didn't see who put it, but somebody, somebody said feel all of it. Um, yeah, feel all of it. Show up for all of it. Show up for all of your life. Show up for the good and the bad, right? Um, yeah, Daryl says Coco, uh, it's a Disney movie. Um, uh, Daryl also says every behavior, ah, oh, these are just switching too much. Every behavior has a valid need that is trying to be met. It is just a matter of finding the best way to meet that need. Yep. Uh, the best, most ethical way to meet that need. Uh, someone else says, I'd never heard of Lilith. I must hear this teaching again. Um, so yeah, uh, write in the comments. Let me know what you think. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the like and the subscribe button. And uh, for everybody else, thanks for joining. And watching, I hope you have a great and wonderful rest of your day. If you're watching this later by replay, hope your evening or morning, afternoon, whatever time it is, that it is wonderful. And I'll be back with you again soon.